You're listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast, a podcast of training the church. Hey, this is Adam Griffin, and I'm here without my lovely wife, Chelsea Griffin, who could not make it today. She literally just went to bed after a long night shift at the hospital. But I am here with my fantastic co-host, a lady who could definitely, if she wanted to, I think Cassie could start a cult. I think that's how much leadership <laughs> she's got. Cassie Bryant. How are you doing that's, today, Cassie? That's scary. Um, I'm alarmed at my capacity for cult starting, um, <laughs> but... Luckily, you know, I have a story of salvation Amen. and I belong to Jesus. So no cults here. No cults here. You, <laughs> no you don't want to buy some chickens, move out to the country and just get Whoa, things. That's fine. You're really, yeah, it's like you just kind of threw some. <laughs> well, I had some, well, you can have chickens and not be in a cult. Yeah, also, thank you. I, I don't know if you can be in a cult and not have chickens, you know? That's true. All right. <laughs> today we are honored by the presence of the revered reverend, pastor of Providence, the Gospel Coalition Council member, ladies and gentlemen, Afshin Ziafat is with us today. Woo. Pastor Afshin, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on, man. It's awesome. Great. We are, we're so excited for this conversation. <laughs> we're grateful for you, a fellow Metroplex pastor, a man whose church mm. is dear to our heart and certainly has done some great ministry. Afshin, we're so glad you're here for the conversation. Thanks, brother. I'm honored to be on. All right. Well, before we jump in, Ashley, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself, your family, your ministry, maybe for the listener who's less familiar with Afshin Ziafat? Tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, I'm married to uh, Meredith, my uh, lovely bride. I've been married to her for um, uh, 15, going on 16 years. Uh, we have three kids. Uh, Elise is 11, uh, Ansley is 8, and Isaac is uh, 5. So, um, yeah, we live up here in Frisco, Texas, and uh, Pastor Providence Church, been here for a little over 13 years. So, um, wow. uh, just uh, enjoying life and ministry, and uh, yeah, that's a little bit of who we are. I love it. We also have three kids. So does, uh, the Griffins have three kids, so a little oh, wow. three-kid club, there we go. Three and similar club. ages. We've oh, got really? similar ages, too. Mine are seven, nine, and ten. I have all girls, and then Adam's got all boys. Similar spread yeah. as you. So yeah. it's so fun. Um, you know, I know that you get asked to do this a lot, um, but just for the sake of our listeners, would love for you to take a couple minutes, couple minutes just to share your testimony of coming to Christ, some of yeah. your background before we kind of jump into our topic on teaching our kids about worldviews. Yeah, I um, so I grew up in a Muslim home. My my family's from Iran, and so I was um, born in Houston. But when I was two, our family moved back to Iran, and when I was six, the Islamic Revolution hit that country, which uh, precipitated our coming back. And my dad was just wanted to get us out of the fighting, and so we moved back to Houston. I was in the middle of first grade, and there was a tutor who taught me the English language every day after school uh, that. Um, gave me uh, a New Testament in the second grade. And she told me, you're not going to understand mm -hmm. this book now, but prom promise me that you hold on to it and read it when you're older. So my dad was the president of the Islamic Medical Society and very prominent Muslim. And um, so all I was taught, it was just the five pillars of faith of Islam and that Jesus is just a prophet. But uh, anyway, so that New Testament comes into my hand. I just took it home and just threw it at my house. Mm. Grew up in a Muslim home, and um, that was that. And so anyway, my senior year in high school, I became curious about Jesus because I took the Lord's name in vain on a basketball court, and a guy said, hey, 
that that's my God. I go, no, he's your prophet because that's what I was taught about Jesus. And so the, the thought, you know, I got a New Testament somewhere. So I go, man, I'm going to go. I, I didn't think I said New Testament. I said, I got a Bible somewhere. I, I, I didn't even understand New and Old Testament. I just knew I had a Bible. So I went up and looked all over my room and I found that New Testament and began reading it. And I would read every day under the covers uh, with a flashlight so my parents wouldn't find out. And every day at my high school, I would debate with this Christian kid uh, at, at the cafeteria. Um, and I would debate on the side of Islam. But every night I'd go home and read more about Jesus. And so finally I got to Romans and chapter three in particular, just the Lord opened my heart uh, when I started reading mm. about a righteousness or a right standing with God. Uh, that comes apart from what I do, uh, apart from the law, but comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So two weeks after that, I was invited to an evangelistic event where ultimately I heard the gospel, uh, became a Christian. And then the, the kind of the defining moment of my story is I hid my faith from my dad for about a year and a half. And finally, my dad found out. I, I would sneak out to go to church. I would intercept mail from the church I was attending, hide my Bible. And my dad found out and basically made me choose between him and Jesus. And um, and by God's strength, I chose Jesus. I said, if I have to choose between my earthly father and my heavenly father, then I choose my heavenly father. So my father disowns me. And the definitive moment of my life was really when I went upstairs to my room and just said, God, how could you let this happen? And the Lord led me to the passage in Matthew 10, where Jesus says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I'll disown him. And then he goes on to say, do not suppose I've come to bring peace to the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but I come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And then whoever wants to, you know, save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And obviously those passages don't mean that God hates the family, uh, but it means right. that even that precious relationship of a family uh, is more important than following, is not, is not more important than following Jesus. And even that relationship uh, you should be willing to walk away from to follow uh, the Lord. And so, so basically to sum it up, that's when I understood what it means to be a follower of Jesus and not just to believe the right things about him. But, you know, long story short, my, my relationship with my dad was restored as the Lord led me into ministry. But mm. ultimately, um, you know, uh, he was never happy with what I did uh, for a living, but, you know, I got to share the gospel with him many times before he passed away about three years ago. So, put that in the Lord's hands. But anyway, that's a little of my story. But uh, yeah, it started with a second grade tutor who just loved me enough to uh, read read me uh, books and then ultimately uh, say, hey, here's the most important book. And that's what came to my salvation. Yeah. That's amazing. Hey, Amen. Well, praise God for that second grade yeah. tutor and for the Lord just to grab a hold of your heart. Yeah, that's I, right. Yeah. I love that testimony too of like a, a high school kid who maybe was uh, debating you, maybe just upset, maybe hoping for you. Like uh, the Lord used a lot of people in your life in a way mm -hmm. that I hope the Lord uses our kids, our families, mm -hmm. and certainly our parents mm -hmm. to do that same kind of work. Now, the conversation we want to have with you today related to your story, you know, I, the verse that comes to mind for me is 1 Peter 3.15, that always be prepared for to make a defense for anyone who asks you for reason, the hope that's in you, and to do so with gentleness and respect. I love that verse because it kind of paints a picture 
of what our hope is, right? That there, there's an opportunity to talk about what we believe. And since we're on the show, always talking about parents training their kids to follow Jesus, we want to talk to you about having conversations with our kids about other worldviews. Like, what does it look like? The fact that other people believe other things. As much as we're training our kids to follow Jesus, they are going to be increasingly aware that there's people that don't follow Jesus and they believe other things. I wonder if you could just kick us off with this conversation. Why do you think it is important for parents, you know, Christian parents we're talking about, why it's important for Christian parents to teach their kids about what other people believe as well as what we believe as Christians? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, I believe in, in some ways, you know, my wife and I, we have a, a little bit of an um, unfair advantage because, um, you know, my, obviously with my story and my family, whenever we go to um, my parents' house and, um, you know, my, my sisters, one of my sisters, one of my brother's homes, um, they're still Muslim. And so that, you know, that conversation comes up pretty quickly. Like, um, um, oh, they don't believe the same thing we do. And, and why is that? And, uh, and then of course they hear my story and then they understand, oh, wait, so dad, uh, meaning me, dad had to, um, you know, make a big decision to follow Jesus. And, you know, again, I always share with them God's grace in my life and how it wasn't how faithful I was, but how faithful God was. Uh, but yeah, I have to tell them that, and to me, I think it's good because it, one, I'm kind of getting off subject, sorry, but one, it uh, allows me to tell my student, uh, my uh, kids, excuse me, that, um, you know, your faith has to be your own. You know, uh, at the end of the day, um, I'm, mm -hmm. you know, we are telling you about Jesus and uh, we want you to know the Bible and know scripture, but we want ultimately, um, you know, you to know Jesus and you to have a, your own personal faith. But anyway, so I do have an unfair advantage, but yeah, I think it's important to teach our kids that. Um, and, you know, in one sense, I would say it's not important for them necessarily to know what every other religion believes. I would say that the role of the parent, Christian parent, should be first and foremost to obviously make sure that they are trained up in the gospel, that they understand who Jesus is, and they understand, you know, what grace is and, and uh, you know, just the tenets of our faith, you know, that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the, to generally have an idea that, oh, this is not something that everybody believes around me, I think um, is important uh, for them to know because it, obviously it, it, it all, it shows us that, man, there's a mission that God has put us on that, um, you know, you, your life is uh, meant to be a light and, and to be salt, uh, you know, and to, win people to Christ. And so, um, teaching our kids that, you know, and, 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 you know, teaching them that again, uh, it, that doesn't mean you have to run up and beat them over the head with the Bible, but man, the way you live your life and what you say and how you treat others in your school, let's say that makes a big difference, you know, um, that God uses that. So, yeah. Okay. You were just kind of alluding to this idea of like, we don't want to, you know, teach our kids to you know, beat their friends at school over the heads with their Bibles. So there's this fine line of standing firm with what we're teaching them and what we want them to believe, but also respecting other people and their belief systems. How would you like help kind of nuance that for kids in terms of, you know, believing something so deeply, but also not using it as a weapon against other, other worldviews or faiths? The most important thing is to remind them that our salvation is really ultimately dependent on 
um, God and his grace opening our eyes mm-hmm. to understand the truth and to believe. And so, um, you know, I, I think of Matthew 16 when Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And so, you know, it, that mm. faith is not something that I can go up and just like necessarily, I'm not saying God can't use a debate, but like I can just debate them into a corner and beating them over the head with the Bible and say, mm. you're an idiot. Why don't you believe this? Don't you see? You know, at the end of the day, they're going to be blinded until the Lord opens their eyes. And so I think teaching our kids uh, that is important because then we're going to respect that. Look, if it wasn't, first of all, for God's grace, I would be blinded myself. So they, that should in, engender a humility in them, not a holier than thou or looking down on other people that don't believe, but to say, hey, I'd be right there with them. You know, I had the mm-hmm. advantage, let's say, of having Christian parents who taught me the truth, you know, and the Lord used that to open my eyes, but maybe this person doesn't. And so teaching them that, again, grace is not something because we were so smart and figured it out. No, it the gospel came to us by grace alone, um, I think should should help them to respect other people better and to be patient with them, uh, to pray for them, uh, to lovingly share truth with them, but not to be frustrated, let's say, because we know ultimately it's up to God. That's great. I think yeah, leading, having our kids and showing them the way to lead, lead the path forward is compassion and it's empathy and realizing, you know, we were once dead in our transgressions, mm-hmm. but now made alive in Christ. And so seeing it from a place of our own vulnerability and not a self-righteous, that's, that's super helpful. <clears throat> okay. How would you describe to your children at your age, their ages, what sets Christianity apart from many other r- religions and worldviews? You know, the, for me, well, let me high level it first, if I could, if that's okay. Like, yeah. I, like to me, especially coming out of Islam, the things that set Christianity apart from Islam, and I would say probably every other religion, are um, one, the love of God, two, the justice of God, and three, I would say, the glory of God. And so, let me, let me, let me high level this first. So, basically, the love of God. Love has to be freely given. If it's um, got a price tag on it, then it's not actually love. If I love my wife for mm-hmm. what she does for me, then I don't really love her. I love the things that she does for me. And so, so to have a system where you have to earn God's love by what you do, um, like Islam and most other religions, God cannot be a God of love. So Christianity is, is set apart in that, man, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, you know. So, so secondly, I would say that, um, you know, the justice of God and meaning again, that in Islam, for instance, I was taught that all my good and my bad are weighed upon a scale and whichever one outweighs the other mm. will determine if I go to heaven or hell. But ultimately, uh, what happens to, let's say I could be 51% good, which I don't think you could be 51% good, but let's say I could, well, what happens to the 49% of bad in my life? Yeah, it ultimately gets brushed under the carpet in a workspace system. But in Christianity, every sin is accounted for by the blood of Christ on the cross. And so God's justice is upheld. Um, he's not just letting us go scot-free. No, he is forgiving us, but it's based on a payment that's been made for us. So God's justice and love are both maintained. And then glory is obvious. It's the only 
I think, faith where God gets all the glory. That's what Ephesians 2 says, uh, you know, so that no one may boast. You know, we can't, uh, if there's something that I did uh, in addition to what God did, then, then I could share the glory. So that's high level. And that's what I want to teach my kids. I want to teach my kids mm-hmm. that just those things uh, at whatever age they're at, you know, that ultimately I want them to, to know God's love. And I want them to know that you don't have to earn it, but it's freely given. But that love then transforms us not to go do whatever we want with our lives, but we want to live for him because he first loved us. I want to teach them God's justice. And because that, that you know, we want to say, look, the, the, the cross uh, means that God is a just God too, and that there had to be payment. And that, again, engenders a gratitude, a worship for what Jesus did for us. And then thirdly, I want to teach them um, that, you know, God's glory, that ultimately we're made for his glory. And if if we believe that we did something to get to heaven on our own, then then God doesn't get the glory. So those are the kind of the three things I want my my kids to know that sets Christianity apart from other worldviews. Hey friends, it's March and that means Easter is right around the corner. In fact, Easter is in March this year. It's part of the reason I'm pumped to tell you about one of our sponsors who's got a really special Easter deal. This is a great time to get some new resources to disciple your family. Our friends over at Lithos Kids are having an Easter basket sale. They've got the brand new Little Pilgrim's Big Journey complete box set. It's now available. Guys, I can't tell you how much I love this resource. If you don't have it, you need to go check it out. Kids and parents have loved reading about Bunyan's beloved tale of Christian and his adventure to follow the king's path to Celestial City. And now you can get all three books in one box set along with a map and it comes with a coloring book and the whole thing is just 60 bucks. You can use the code FAMILY10 to get 10% off your entire order at Lithos Kids right now. So what a great discipleship opportunity. To find all this, go to lithoskids.com, see all the items in their Easter promo, including their new release, The Parables of Jesus, and the Kingdom of God Bible Storybook. Guys, we love Lithos Kids. You're going to love them too. Go check it out today, lithoskids.com, and remember the promo, FAMILY10, to get 10% off your entire order. Hey, listeners, we live in a world where anxiety, depression, and weariness seem to be the basic descriptors of our lives. For many of us, our calendars and our plates are overfull, yet our lives still lack joy. But it doesn't have to be this way. Jesus invites you to have true and abundant joy that's only found in Him. In John 15, Jesus reveals three very surprising pathways to finding this type of joy. You can discover these pathways in the new book, Overflowing Joy, by author and Bible teacher Tara Dew. This is available at LifeWay.com, and you can save 40% off with the code JOY40. Again, that's J-O-Y, the number four, the number zero, at LifeWay.com. The new book is Overflowing Joy by Tara Dew. Check it out. Yeah, I love what you're touching on there. I I remember when I was a I was a high school history teacher for a, for a heartbeat, and I walked into another one of my coworkers' classrooms, and he was teaching on Abrahamic religions, and he was teaching on Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, and he had this Venn diagram set up to teach the students in this public school about these Abrahamic religions, and what he was teaching is that what these religions all had in common, what he was saying is that all these religions follow the same God. He was saying Judaism 
and Islam and Christianity, we all follow the same God. And then we have these different ways of following, which of course is kind of a very outsider world of view. No, no um, person who's Muslim, no, no person who's Orthodox Jewish and no Christian would say, oh yeah, we all follow the same God. But from the outside looking in, there's kind of a secular view that would say, yeah, those religions are all kind of the same. What you're helping us do there is distinguish and, and kind of differentiate between those two, which I appreciate. Uh, one of the things I've also found, you know, as a, a youth pastor, we used to teach on world religions and worldviews. And it was super helpful, I thought, for our kids. But it also reinforced every time we were teaching it what we believe. You know, when we would teach people what Islam believes and what Judaism believes, we were also teaching over and over again, here's how it's different. Here's how what the Bible says that's different. Can you see how maybe parents teaching their kids what other people believe might be a chance to constantly reinforce what we believe over and over again, that we're not just teaching our kids about Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness, we're also mm-hmm. always reinforcing what we believe. Have you seen that in your family? Every time you're teaching your family about Islam and what your brothers believe, that you're also reinforcing the gospel? Yeah, absolutely, bro. Um, like, for instance, uh, as I was saying, like, Islam is, you know, based on works, right? And based on that there's going to be a scale at the end of the day, uh, on the day of judgment, that's going to weigh your good versus your bad. And that's going to determine if you go to heaven or hell. So I, when my, when my kids ask me, well, what, what does, you know, uncle believe or, or my, uh, my mom, what does she believe? And so I start explaining that. And, and then I'm able to say, but, do you, then I even ask them, I go, well, you know what our Bible says? And so, you know, especially the oldest one can say, oh yeah, that, that no, we're the only way we can get to heaven is if we believe what Jesus did for us, not what we've done. And, and so, um, then I can ask follow up questions like, man, but why would you live for God then? Because I know that an, a common complaint of Muslims, for, for instance, is why would you live for God if you're freely forgiven, forever forgiven? Mm. You know, and uh, by the way, Paul answers that question in Romans 6. He says, <laughs> shall we go on sinning now that we're no longer under the law, but under grace? He yeah. says, certainly not. For though you were formerly slaves to sin, you become slaves to righteousness. So I tell my kids that, you know, what is it that causes us to live for God? It's not that we're afraid that we're going to go to hell because ultimately that's what works-based religions, the motive is, is a fear of hell, you know, but, but no, for us, it's love. And so to be able to explain to them the whole thing of, man, we love because he first loved us. And how much more honor does God get when I'm serving him because of love and not because of fear that he's out to get me? You know what I mean? So anyway, um, yeah, I, I think you're right on Adam that, um, that anytime I'm, I'm able to show what other people believe, it's just a kind of the backdrop, um, mm-hmm. if you will, to be able to then show the, the sparkle of what, what Christianity teaches, you know? Yeah. I, I remember a few years ago when I was pastoring, I'd made some friends with um, the, the Mormon missionaries or the Mormon elders who were going door to door in my neighborhood. And they came to my office one day and on my shelf, they found a book about world religions. And so they looked up Mormonism in my Christian book and looked up the definition of what uh, this Christian book said Mormonism was. And they were reading through it and gone, oh, it's a, you know, it was defining them as kind of a cult and where it started. And they were a little bit offended, but they're like, this is no surprise to us that you believe this about us. And, you know, with Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, sometimes our kids, especially our teenagers, have a little harder time distinguishing because maybe they even use the same words. Uh, but they mean them in different ways in some of these other religions and worldviews. And similar with Islam, where they would talk about Jesus, but they'll talk about him 
as a, a prophet in Islam and we'll talk mm-hmm. about as the son of God in Christianity, there's difficulty for some people in talking about the same person or the same name and differentiating it. How can parents, I know you think about this as a pastor when you're thinking about you're sending your your flock, your congregation out into the city of Frisco. And then you think about us as a dad when you're getting your kids ready for college or independence from your family. How can we help kids develop the ability to distinguish what is orthodox, what is Christian, what is true from what is false? Yes. Um, you know, one of the uh, passages that I think is very, very helpful in this conversation that we're having is in back again, I mentioned Matthew 16 earlier, but it says in Matthew 16 that Jesus walking with his disciples and he first asked them, what do people say that I am? In other words, what's the word on the street? What does the culture say about me? What does everyone around us say? And they said, man, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're one of the prophets. And then he says, but what do you, who do you say I am? You know, and the you there, by the way, in the original language has emphasis on it, meaning you and you alone. Uh, and then, and then Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So even there, I see that the way Jesus taught his disciples was first by saying, mm. Hey, what is everyone else saying? And then differentiating as you were saying, all right, but then who do you say I am? So I think, uh, what you're saying is actually very biblical is very what Jesus did with his disciples. Um, so. Yeah, I think it's important for them to know. And again, as I mentioned, man, the only system where, you know, we're saved by grace, God gets all the glory, God remains just and love, um, you know, uh, it's just helping them see that. Um, I think, you know, without the backdrop, I mean, I could do it without the backdrop of other, other religions, but other religions help me in the sense that I'm able to say, see what they believe. And so how is that different? What does Christianity believe? Yeah. When I think about parenting our kids, I want to train them in the gospel. I want them to know it. But I I think sometimes when we're parenting our kids, and even this is true in private schools and churches, mm. we teach them so much what's true, and as we should, but we also kind of reinforce maybe even implicitly that people in authority should be trusted on things like religion because you trust your parents, trust your pastors, trust your teachers. Mm. And then we send them out of our house and then they start to hear really convincing worldviews and convincing other religions. They're like, I've never heard that before. And it may feel like, why didn't my parents ever tell me about this? Or why didn't my church ever tell me about this? Is there, And then there's maybe the question that says, are they afraid? Do they not have a good answer to this question? Mm. Did they not expose me to this because they're they're afraid that there's truth found somewhere else? Mm. And so I want to not only be the person who tells my kids what's true, but I want to train them to distinguish it from what's false. And in order to do that, I want to explain to them, here is what the difference between, like you, you said so eloquently, I've seen in your own family, you're saying, I'm telling them all the time, this is what we believe. Here's how that's different from what they believe. And I want to teach our kids to recognize that. When I was a youth pastor for a while, I would teach them, uh, teach my students for from Galatians. And we'd not only teach them what is the gospel, we'd offer trick questions that would make them think and be able to distinguish. So I might give them like a trick metaphor where I'd say, is the gospel kind of like you're in quicksand and somebody throws you a rope and you pull yourself out? Or is the gospel kind of like you're drowning and then somebody dives in and saves you? Or is the gospel, and I'd kind of give them these false metaphors and see if they could distinguish the true gospel from a false gospel. And I want to do the same thing in my household where I'm training my kids to recognize 
hey, what is what is true about us, but can I also recognize what is false about somebody else's belief? Well, to sum up what you're saying, Adam, and what we're saying in this conversation uh, for whoever's listening, I think what we're saying is two major things. One, as two sides of a coin, maybe one, hey, the most important thing is make sure they understand the gospel, that they have a good understanding mm-hmm. of Jesus and who he is. Because again, it's like when you know, it's the whole illustration of like counterfeit dollars, right? Uh, the people who can detect, they really know what the real dollar looks like, and then they can detect the false ones, right? So really make sure, because a lot of times people come up to me and say, hey, will you come yeah. tell my Muslim friend about Jesus? Because they feel like they, they can't do it because they don't know, you know, about Islam like I do. And I want to tell them, no, you can still, like the person who told me about Jesus didn't know everything about Islam. You know what I mean? And so you, God can still use you. So good. That, that is 100% true. But that doesn't negate what you're adding now, Adam, which is the other side of the coin of, of again, we don't need to be afraid of teaching our kids that there's other worldviews and other religions. I think sometimes we're like, oh, I don't want them to hear those things. But no, no, no. It's better that they hear them in our home and they hear, hey, mm-hmm. just so you know, here's what the culture believes about God. Here's what, for instance, the culture believes about identity, which is another maybe discussion for another time. But here's what, you know, yeah. um, what Muslims believe. Here's what Jew- Jews believe. And so that they understand Look, at the end of the day, we don't have anything to fear because, you know, what is true is going to stand at the end of the day uh, against all the falsehoods around it. So, um, so yeah, I think in summation, what we're saying is both are important. Yeah. Right. You know, so we all three work at churches and um, I'm curious what you would think, like the, the, the role the church should play. Uh, and equipping parents, but also just our members to understand different worldviews and religions, because, you know, you know, obviously we we have you on here. You're an expert. You're a pastor. You're thinking about this all the time. But um, for most parents, they they might not feel equipped themselves to have these conversations. Um, so, what role do you think the church can play in coming alongside parents and equipping them? Yes. Well, I am a pastor. I don't know that I'm an expert uh, on <laughs> on all world <laughs> religions. I'm certainly not an expert on family discipleship because it's something that my wife and I are are uh, you know just like everybody else. We're we're parents that are learning as we go and doing our best and leaning on the Lord and praying for our kids. But yeah, um, I would say the same thing, Cassie. I just think that my my uh, greatest goal is to make sure that my people uh, know the gospel well, that they know the word of God, that mm-hmm. they can study it for themselves. I want them to be like Bereans, you know, who, if you remember in Acts, when they heard the message preached to them, they went to the scriptures to make sure it lines up, you know. I want them not to trust, hey, Afshin said this, but I want them to train them to really know the Bible and know what what they believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's number one. But two, I think, yeah, we do. Our, our missions department at, at Providence um, is led by an amazing uh, gal, Holly Longacre. And um, to have the classes that we have, um, we do perspectives, you know, which is a missions course. But uh, we do several different classes where we can teach them uh, what some of the other major religions believe, uh, what other worldviews believe. Um, again, just so um, they're equipped and they're not caught off guard. Um, you know, it's it's what you said. It's First Peter three fifteen. You know, be ready to give a defense. And I think it's important to know, you know, what's coming at them. So yeah, we do that through. I think 
through the pulpit. We do it through our classes. We do it through our community groups where we have curriculum yeah. on, on teaching apologetics. Yeah. That's great. Oh, um, the class you're talking about is called Perspectives, right? Yes. If I'm, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that like anyone can sign up for that class if it's being offered in a city, somewhere right. in your city. And so That's I know right. that like we've had members take it at another church down the road or uh, we've offered it before and had other local church members come and join us. And so if you're in a city, you can look up on their website perspectives and you might be able to find a church in your area to take that class for yourself. There's yes. also a really great resource we use in our children's ministry called Window on the World which is, uh, I think, put out by Operation World. But it talks about, you know, it covers a bunch of different nations in our world, how to pray for them, what religion their culture typically ascribes to, and then uh, what what how we see Christ's church coming in and, and the kingdom advancing in that nation and how to pray for that nation. Oh, and so good. it's a really great resource for families or kids' ministries uh, in terms of helping uh, think about other worldviews and, and what other nations and other cultures ascribe to. All right, so we, we've talked a lot about other religions, which is helpful. And I think thinking about Islam, thinking about Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, some of the major world religions, as well as things like Baha'i or uh, Jehovah's Witness or Mormonism, or even some of, you know, a lot of our listeners are going to be aware that other denominations are going to believe something differently than them, even within orthodoxy. You know, somebody might be going, uh, growing up in a Presbyterian home saying, hey, what do the Baptists believe? Or what uh, growing up in a Baptist home saying, what do the, the Lutherans believe? Or or vice versa. But one of the things we haven't talked much about that is kind of a, a soapbox for me, and I, I want to make sure we mention this, is that we do have a kind of a growing cultural sense of secularism where it's not just a, a religion, but our culture is kind of increasingly accepting secularism as a, a thriving worldview. What's interesting about secularism in America is that uh, our culture looks at it as an unbiased position. Like if you're going to be a counselor, you should counsel as a secular counselor. If you're going to be a lawyer, you are a lawyer in a secular sense. If you're a teacher, you're expected to teach from a secular worldview. And it's almost like America has suddenly agreed that atheism or secularism is an unbiased position. And then Christianity is a biased one. And Buddhism is a bias when the reality mm -hmm. is secularism and, and atheism is just, a much of, is just as much mm -hmm. of a worldview, just as yeah. much of a bias as Christianity. So I'm constantly trying to tell our congregation, you know, if you're a counselor and somebody tells you, you have to counsel from a secular viewpoint, you tell, they, they cannot literally cannot establish a religion for you and say, mm -hmm. no, you can't, you have to put your Christianity aside. And as a mm -hmm. teacher, you are, while you're not allowed in a public school, maybe to proselytize and tell Christians, they are tell kids, they should be Christians. You are absolutely allowed to be a Christian and be a teacher. You are allowed to be a Christian and be a police officer. You're allowed to be a Christian and be a coach. These are all positions that for some reason, secularism has become kind of an unbiased place. I, I wonder if, Afshin, for you, as we're kind of coming to a close here, think about what role parents might play in preparing their kids to enter a society that thinks that Christianity is a bias but atheism is neutral or open-minded. How do we prepare? Think about as you're getting ready, you know, in the next, you know, 10 years, you're sending your kids off to college and they're going to go and they're going to have a, a, a secular professor or an atheistic professor who tells them they have to forsake their faith when it comes to their career. How would you prepare kids as we're getting ready to launch them in the world to think about Christianity as truth and atheism as not neutral or open-minded, but as another bias? How do we prepare our kids for this secular culture they're growing up in? Yeah, I mean, Adam, I think you said it brilliantly there, bro. I, I, I agree that um, 
first of all, I would want them to know that um, secularism, atheism is not uh, kind of, uh, what's the word, like irreligion or just kind of independent of faith. You right. know, it is a, it is a, it is a, takes a lot of faith to believe that there is no mm-hmm. God, you know, that this, yeah. that, that ultimately they're believing something about reality that it, that, that, that what we see are all around us just kind of right happened, uh, through, you know, again, evolution or whatever it might be that they're as- ascribing to, but there's a faith that they are holding on to, uh, that has to explain life and, and purpose and meaning in life. Uh, so I think that's, you've already, you've already answered your question with that. And that's the first thing I'd want them to know. But second of all, bro, I'd say as a parent, kind of coupled with what you said to therefore prepare my children to know that what that means is they are going to view you um, as being kind of a bigot. You know, they're going to view you not just with like, Oh, you're just another religion. You just have another belief. They're going to say, they're going to actually view you as that word bias that you used that man, you've been like brainwashed and, uh, you're so you're archaic and not only that but you're hateful because you aren't open-minded you know and so right. you've you you know they're gonna uh they're gonna see christians as being more like hate speech you know christianity is being hate speech and so i think i want my kids to know that that you know the world will hate you the world will hate you for what you're saying uh it's going to sound exclusivism of you know there's only one way to jesus is going to sound like you're not caring for people it's going to sound that you're not accepting of people and so that's the way the world is is framing you but that's not true you know and try to teach them that the whole thing of like man god is love and he's saved us and the world is ultimately pushing God out and saying, we don't need you. We can be God for ourselves. And what you're doing is you're going in saying something that does confront them because you're saying, Hey, you're not, you can't be God for yourself. You know, you, uh, that there is a God and that he has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus. And there is one way for us to know God and it's through Jesus. And so, you know, yeah, just teaching them that, um, preparing them for, I guess, the persecution that's going to come with them being Christians, that they are going to be, they're not going to fit in, that they're, they're going to be seen like weird or whatever you want to say. And, um, yeah. and, you know, just, I'm not trying to say, you know, then, you know, forget the world. You just be, you know, you hunker down or something. No, but to prepare them for that. Uh, to say that, man, Jesus was ostracized, Jesus was reviled, and to prepare him to say, your position is going to cause some pushback, but hey, your position is right, and it's loving to go and tell people the truth, and not to just mm-hmm. to just compromise. Afshin, that answer right there, that was that was so good. That's what my heart needs to hear. That's what our church yeah. needs to hear. That is such a blessing. So right. And it is so ironic that our culture would look at a Christian and say, you're not open-minded, therefore you are a this, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, where we would yeah. be judged as judgmental when maybe if you're living right, you're trying to offer love, you're trying to offer grace. And they would look at that and say, you're, you're offering a judgment, intolerance and bigotry. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Afshin, that's so good. Worth the price of admission right there. Before <laughs> before we let you go, though, Afshin, what are some ways that uh, our listeners can be praying for the Zia Fat family? What are some ways we can pray for you personally? 
Well, I would say thank you, first of all, for asking that question. But I would say, man, my wife, Meredith, and I would would both say uh, at the end of the day, pray that we can, you know, balance ministry and and family well. And, uh, you know, I think when you're in full-time ministry, when you're pastoring, um, it, it, it can be difficult to, one, mm-hmm. remember that you have a personal walk with Jesus and make sure that you keep that fresh and keep that vibrant. And then two, um, make sure that your first and foremost ministry is your your family and your children. And so um, that's how I want prayer is that we would keep our walk with Christ. Number one, we would keep our ministry to our children uh, primary and really leading the churches and overflow of those things. So thanks. Man. Amen. Amen. Thank you both. Thanks for being on with us, Afshin. I appreciate it. Oh, I, this was great. I loved it. In fact, it was very helpful for me. It got me thinking on a lot of things mm-hmm. that I, I need to hear uh, about <laughs> parenting. So thank you. Bro. That's good. Well, thanks for listening, friends. If you think it's as important as we do to disciple our families, please help us out by giving us a great review wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit one of our sponsors and share this episode with one of your friends. If you want to keep up with us or join the conversation, you can follow the Family Discipleship Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We love you listeners, and we'll be back with a brand new episode next week.